Hello, Blazers. Welcome to episode 99 of UAB Green and Told. Original release Monday, June 5th, 2023. This podcast gives us a chance to share stories from members of the UAB community. Listen to previous episodes of Green and Told at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold on Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. While there, I'd like to encourage you to leave a written review to help more alums find us. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and Director of Communications in the Office of Alumni Affairs. UAB's medical school is full of excellence. From its highly ranked programs to its sheer size as one of the nation's largest hospitals, the School of Medicine has established itself as one of the premier institutions in the world. But a $95 million gift from Alabama physician Dr. Marnix Hirsink and his wife Mary is looking to transform the school even more. I would like it to be impactful. I'd like UAB School of Medicine to become even more famous for its excellence, for the quality that it provides to students, for its outreach, and for making the lives of the citizens even better. While Dr. Hirsink didn't graduate from UAB, he has worked closely with the school since moving to Dothan, Alabama in 1978. And as he'll share, has even spent the better part of the last two decades as an extended member of the campus community, watching five kids graduate from UAB. And over those years, it's 10, 15 years, you see the university transform, not in just a the academic way, but in a physical way. Plus, discover why giving back means so much to Dr. Hirsink and his wife. Philanthropy is based upon gratitude, and it's based upon investment, and it's based upon values and vision, and one of the big ones is excellence. If you don't know the person behind the name, there's a good chance you're at least somewhat familiar with the surname Hearsink. In 2018, Dr. Marnix Hearsink and his wife Mary gave a $2 million gift to help renovate Volker Hall at UAB. Then in 2021, they made a $95 million commitment to the School of Medicine through a transformational gift. But Dr. Hearsink's story runs deeper than the gift and begins in Europe. Born in the Netherlands, his family moved to North America when he was just three years old. My family moved uh, to Canada, and we started in a very small town. My father had left the Netherlands because he was concerned that the future for his four sons, I have three brothers, that they might be conscripted into the army in the Netherlands. And at that time, there was a pretty serious threat that the Russians might be coming to the southern part of, you know, the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And so that made him realize, hey, I've got to provide something for my kids. And he decided that would be one thing. And he was also an entrepreneur and he liked uh, new challenges. And so he and my mother both decided to immigrate. And that started my story in the North American venture that I'm I'm leading. You guys settled in in Canada and you kind of grew up really not knowing what you wanted to be when you grew up. Talk a little bit about that story, how your father kind of led you and guided you into the career that you achieved success in. Yeah, my father was uh, a wise man, and he understood that when you have teenage children, you've got to really be careful to give them any advice. Yeah. And, and so he, when I was uh, almost a senior in high school, said to me, okay, let's talk about your future. And we did. And he asked me a great question. He said, well, tell me, what do you not want to become? And I thought, well, what does that mean? Well, you could become lots of things. What do you not want to become? I thought, well, I don't really think I want to become a fireman. I'm probably not suited for that. And went through a whole list. And as the list went smaller and smaller, I realized it condensed things so that it turned out that, gee, professional things. 
And then the real ultimate one that I was led to was medicine. It seemed like it had a great combination of being able to care for people, being able to make lives better, and just that stuff that I had a passion for and still have. And you settled ultimately in working with the eyes. Yeah, I have an older brother who's also an ophthalmologist. Okay. And he was a leader for me as well as I watched his, his uh, whole life. He was always four years ahead of me. He was smarter. He was uh, more energetic. He was always the guy you looked up, sort of a hero. And, and so my brother Ben said to me when I was actually in medical school, he said, you know, you could start to think about the profession that you'd set up. I was going to actually go into orthopedics. Okay. I was a big sports person, did a lot of sports in my life, and I loved it, and I thought it would be great. And, but he said, you know, think about the long-term consequences of if you're orthopedics, you've got to, you know, it takes a wear and tear on your body. And so I realized that, and he said, you can always, in ophthalmology, be independent. You don't have to be so dependent on hospitals and systems, and it allows you to have free time. They were fortunate about ophthalmology. It doesn't have that terrible stress call situation. So those factors all made me realize, yeah. And then he said, by the way, the end eye is extremely interesting. And uh, so then I thought, well, I'll follow you, Ben, which I did. Did you discover the interest in eyes or the excitement in eyes and, and working with those at that time then? Yeah, when I realized that I had to kind of pick things, I just started to get more interested in the eyes. And I realized that, my goodness, it's a small organ. You really don't know much about it if you're not interested in it. And then you go, wait a minute, there's all kinds of things that are, that are there's anatomy of it. There's the way the vision works, how it integrates in the brain, how things can be restored. I thought, this is great. It's got a combination of a lot of things. And I'm a fairly, a fairly curious person. And so I thought, my goodness, this is exactly what I'd like to be doing, something that allows me to have a skill set that helps others. And it does really make a difference. So I, I, I thought, this is right. Bang on. You say you're a curious person. Where does that come from? I think maybe from my family, my genetics. My, my mom and dad uh, were both curious, particularly my father. Um, I have brothers who are that way. Our whole family is that way. And maybe it's a bit of a Dutch thing as well, because the Dutch tend to be very curious in my, my experience. And so curiosity for me is always so nice because it's new and something's new and you can have an option to learn more or maybe not. And I just enjoy so much seeing and learning and doing and always pushing to try to find new ways to explore my mind. And just uh, it, it makes my life better. You earned two degrees from the University of Western Ontario before coming to the U.S. to continue your education. You went to Philadelphia where you met your wife and lo and behold, she's the daughter of the father of pediatric ophthalmology. How did that come about and you just stumble into that relationship? Well, you've done great homework. I got to compliment you. Yes, I do have two degrees from the University of Western Ontario in Canada. I'm very proud of those and I worked hard for those. Then when I was able to move to Philadelphia, um, I did get accepted into Wells Eye Hospital, where, by the way, my brother Ben paved the way because he was there four <laughs> years after me. So and once I got to Philadelphia, I realized this is a great city and I was America. The first time I'd been in America, except for occasional short tourist visits. And I thought, wow, what a country. And I realized, my goodness, the weather is so different than it is, was in Canada. And the systems are different. And so I realized this is really where I'd like to explore. Then I happened to be on a blind date that was arranged by my fellow co-resident, uh, Paul Mitchell, and uh, met Mary, who is, was beautiful, is beautiful, and allowed me to really say, wow, that connects me to this country and to this wonderful person. And so 
this is a great start for me to be living in America. And that had to have been just a great connection because of what her father did. So you had things to talk about on that first blind date that you went on. I'm not sure we talked a lot about eyes. <laughs> But we did have a great time and I realized that she was a special person. And you're right, I already knew of her father. Her father was a giant. He trained over 200 fellows and uh, he became the president of the American Academy of Ophthalmology, traveled all over the world, lectured extensively, invented procedures. So he was really one of my heroes and a mentor. And so I was privileged to have that. So that's another a very important thing in my life to be able to have access to the knowledge and to the things that Dr. Parks taught me. Here you are, middle of the 1970s, and you could have stayed in Philadelphia. You could have gone anywhere, but you guys, you and your wife, chose to move to Dothan, Alabama. Why? The reason we really looked around was I'd already decided that America was going to be my home. Okay. I knew the climate was much, much better than I thought it was in Canada, Yeah. even though Canada is wonderful. I, I realized that, you know, there's many, many opportunities. And being in a great place where I trained, Will's Eye Hospital, a premier world-class institution. So I was actually, if I went to places, I think I'd be easily accepted and my training would be, of course, valued. So we looked and looked and looked, and I did something crazy. I looked up in the U.S. Climatic Survey, which tells you how many hours of sunshine different parts of the United States gets. Okay. So I had to pay $5 for that to get it. I got that book, and I studied, and I realized, wait a minute. Arizona and the West has the most, but Florida in the area where we live now has the second most hours of sunshine. And I happen to be a person who loves sunshine and light and optimism, and so this thought, that connects. And then we found a doctor here who was looking for a partner about to retire. And I knew, too, that this was an area that there was a lot of, um, I wouldn't say behind, but certainly they were not as current as they could have been. So I had my skill set that I'd gotten through the training. And uh, we came here and we recruited. And once we came to Dothan, I realized right away, Dothan, Dothan people are really fabulous. They so much, so much are welcoming. We're welcoming. They allowed us to become part of the community instantly. So we were invited everywhere. We were needed. Uh, and so my career jumped quickly. And I never looked back. I never thought maybe we shouldn't be living here anymore. No, no. People in Dothan are and are fabulous people. So I'm delighted that we're allowed to live here. I grew up in the Midwest. You grew up in Canada. You spent time in Philadelphia. Obviously, you hear things about Alabama. What surprised yeah. you the most when you moved down to Dothan and you finally settled in? I think what I realized about Alabama was that it's a, a big state and it has a tremendous amount of resources that are probably underappreciated. Mm -hmm. Not only in terms of the climate and in terms of all the physical things, but even the talent that is intellectually uh, available. It's particularly at UAB where mm -hmm. I'm extremely proud of the the excellence that is that is attained there and is always ongoing. So I realized that and I realized that, you know, there are a lot of things that this state has to offer. And in contrast to some other parts of the country, and I, I thought, well, gosh, this would be something that would fit into my, uh, my, my, my way of thinking, my way of living. You mentioned UAB, and I'm, I'm glad you did. You moved to Alabama in 1978, nine years, not even a decade after the university became <coughs> autonomous. What were your first interactions like with the university? Do you remember then? 
I do, and interestingly, they were very, very few. I knew a UAB was available and was, was doing well. I knew they had an ophthalmology department. I had contact with some of the Callahan family early on, okay. but it was distant. We were distant, you know, a long way away, and we were living in our world here, and the emergency patients could go to Birmingham, but there wasn't much connectivity. So the first few years, it was sort of me there and UAB in Birmingham. Mm -hmm. But slowly over time, I realized that this is what the world is coming to, is that connectivity and collaboration and all those things, they really do play a big role. And so I'm very much now obviously connected with UAB. And I'm actually to the point where I'm hoping I'm being seen as sort of a, uh, an ambassador of sorts. You've had a chance to see UAB grow kind of from a different stance because non-alum living in Dothan, you know, several hours away, how have you seen university change over the decades since you first moved to Alabama? The very close, intimate first contact we had with the university when our children started going. Okay. And uh, our children have five of the six have been to UAB mm -hmm. and several of them have gone through the early medical school acceptance program, which has been delightful and it's been absolutely fabulous. So as you go as a parent and you come and you realize, wow, this is happening, that's happening. And over those years, it's 10, 15 years, you see the university transform, not in just a, the academic way, but in a physical way. The buildings that are being put up, that were being put up, the green spaces that were created, the places where people could go and feel comfortable to act. So the university grew up uh, as, as we went along in our area, even to a higher level of excellence. And so it's like, wow, I've got even more respect than ever because of what it has done and is doing. Five of your children did come here, earn degrees. I think they share something like 10 degrees between them. Did you encourage them to kind of seek out the University of Alabama at Birmingham, or how did they all just kind of wind up here? The kids all understood, of course, that they could have options, but only if they really worked hard. And fortunately, the, uh, we've been to Vanderbilt, MIT, uh, and other schools, but the early acceptance program was really, really of great interest to our family. And I think that's been super for the, for the, for the, those who went to the medical school because they got an, an opportunity early on to get integrated and learn so much. So, but the connection with the school for us just evolved. And I, I can only add that, that this has been nothing but good. You and your wife have always kind of lived a life that's focused on philanthropy and giving back. Mm -hmm. And I read somewhere about an acronym, GIVE, Gratitude, Investment, Vision, Excellence. Talk a little bit about that and how that came about for you guys. I got to, to the point where I was very fortunate to have accumulated enough means beyond our needs. Okay. And so, of course, I had to think, okay, how will I do that in a nice, good way? And so I thought, well, what are the things I want to show and kind of leave behind how I feel about philanthropy? And it does boil down to give. And I strongly believe in that. I believe that philanthropy is based upon gratitude. And it's based upon investment. And it's based upon values and vision. And one of the big ones is excellence. And I put those three together or four together in that, in that acronym that I use often because I believe in them. I think that the values and visions that one has that shares with people that give or get gifts is important. I think that 
part of the I stands for investment. And I believe all of philanthropy for my world is an investment. And of course, I'm so grateful and I hope others are grateful for the opportunity to be able to give it. And that's the way I feel about it also. So all those things together just kind of summarize how I feel about philanthropy and how I came up with that name, uh, that acronym, GIVE. You and Mary have supported different organizations throughout the state, throughout the country, all over the place. How do you pick the organizations that you do support? Well, we're careful. Um, we are fortunate that we've been asked. Uh, and we do it based on those things we said in the gift. Mm -hmm. I think we look upon something that has the same values and the same vision that we do, and that it is something that's going to be sustainable, it needs to be durable, it needs to do things that are going to make a difference for others. And I really believe that. I just think we want it to be inclusive. We want it to have it so that it's, it's, it's a concrete, impactful, durable uh, gift that lasts. And, that sort of guides us for when we're getting things together to make a decision. And one that most UAB alums, most of the community that we're a part of are going to remember are the, is a transformational gift that you gave to the School of Medicine. $95 million to rename the school, the Hearsing School of Medicine, and several other you know institutes within the university. Why were you compelled to make that donation and support UAB and in particular our School of Medicine. Yes, I. now that I've lived in Alabama for 45 years, I've had a life that has been wonderful. Mm -hmm. Fabulous family. We've been given so many opportunities and so many things that we've been allowed to do that I have a great sense, again, of gratitude. I just feel that this state uh, is so good, has been good to us, that I would like to leave something behind that's going to be permanent, hopefully, and Make it so the lives of others is better. So the gift is meant to be, for UAB, something that will change lives. I would like it to be impactful. I'd like UAB School of Medicine to become even more famous for its excellence, for the quality that it provides to students, for its outreach, and for making the lives of the citizens even better. And I know that Dr. Watson, Dr. Agarwal, and Dr. Other, many other physicians uh, are all dedicated to the same goal. So I'm just so happy to see the gift take place and to see some things that are starting to happen already. Where do you see the School of Medicine going and, and the University Hospital in the future because of this gift? Well, I think that's what's happening is that the profile of the university is rising. And I think hopefully with the gift and on many other things, there's going to be more and more recognition that UAB is strong. And people like excellence as a rule. So they want to be attracted to a place where they say, my goodness, I'm going to join a team that is already doing really good things. I want to help make it even better. So if that attitude prevails and it does become an attractive area to come to UAB, I, I'd be delighted. That's my hope and dream that makes UAB so famous and so good that it becomes world famous. You mentioned that UAB has an excellence. Where do you think that comes from? I think it starts from people. The people that we've been allowed to get to meet, they're just excellent. They have great, great passion for what they do. They have kindness. They're curious. They work hard. This is a great university and a great medical school. And I'm watching it as it evolves, as I see the, the tremendous amount of effort that's being put into something that will be world-class, that is recognized and enjoyed and really become, like I said, world famous. You continue to practice as an eye doctor. 
Why? What keeps you going? What drives you? I really like what I do. I have been so lucky that I've been allowed to see patients for almost 50 years. I interact with patients and the particular job that I have is great because we restore things mostly like cataract surgery. We restore sight. It is an important thing for people. And, and my specialty has become, was that, is that. So that's a big part of it. And I love being part of a, an entrepreneurial uh, atmosphere that we have somewhat. We have the business here as well as the medical side. So my life is really full. And ophthalmology is something that has always been at the very first of the list of things that I always look forward to every day getting up to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. What's next for you and your wife? Well, Mary and I are very hopeful that we'll be in healthy. We do have interests uh, beyond just a few local things. We are international. We have some connections in the Netherlands. We've supported museums and some institutes there. We really want to see an increasing involvement philanthropically with things that we believe in, including UAB, particularly UAB. I think UAB is, is really at the top of our list for for our passion and our, and our love for what's happening at the school and for the state. I really feel that our state is under good leadership. I think we're, we're a good state that, that, that is probably the envy of other states should they know about us. And of course, some of the publicity that the state has had over the years has not been as helpful as it maybe could be. But I do know that people that live here and know and understand our state know we have great intentions and that we're going to continue to strive to make it an excellent place. And that's the word excellent coming up again. With a conversation with people that may not give back, they may not make donations to UAB or, or somewhere else, what would you say to them to get them to think philanthropically? I think one of the things I like about philanthropy is it also gives you an opportunity to inspire and I'm hoping that my role model or things that we do will allow people to question themselves and say, okay, where am I in this situation? Because I know lots of people that are extremely well off that could do and maybe want to do and will do. So if we touch our nerve in some of those people where they realize I've got a cause that makes the lives of others better, I should maybe consider doing that. And, and, and I've seen it happen in other places. I've been inspired by others. I've been mentored by others. I've been taught by others. So it's an old adage and an old saying that go, we've all been warmed by fires that we did not light. And I believe that. And I think that's what's made our lives better. And I'd hope to be able to start fires in other places and other people's hearts so that they have that same attitude of passing something worthwhile on to the next generation and to others. That's Dr. Marnix Hirsink. In September 2021, Dr. Hirsink and his wife made the single largest philanthropic commitment in UAB history with a $95 million gift. Not only did it name the UAB Marnix E. Hirsink School of Medicine, but it also established the Marnix E. Hirsink Institute of Biomedical Innovation and the Mary Hirsink Institute for Global Health. With five of the children sharing a dozen total degrees from UAB and his philanthropic support of the school, the Hirsinks definitely have a great idea of what it means to be a blazer. I think being a blazer, for me, it's an honor to be associated with the school, with its excellence, with tradition of its building, for all the things it does to make our state, 
and the lives of our citizens better is really something that I treasure. If someone were to say, you're a blazer, I would say, thank you. I'm honored by that. Be sure to check out past episodes of the UAB Green and Told podcast. Listen in at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share or know someone who does? Email greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on social media. Just search UAB Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and until next time, Go Blazers!